You guys want to come on back? Grab your tea and crumpets. So I hear somebody say, we have an ETA on the youth group. Are they an hour out? Did somebody say that? 45 minutes out. So, all right. We will, uh, of course, hear from them next week. So be here next week for sure to get a little update on what happened in Mexico this week. Hey, i got to tell you guys, I, I love... Uh, I love first Sunday of the month. I really do. I, I love seeing our kids be involved in worship and being a part of what goes on in here. I really do. I, I, I enjoy when Doug comes in and gets them all involved in worship. And tonight was really uh, especially fun for me. I, I loved seeing the kids participate in the, uh, in the Coins for Cans. That was fantastic. I love, there's a bucket of money over there. I think it's mostly pennies, but it's a lot of money, uh, a, a lot of coins. And, and I just, that touches me. It moves me. I, I, I so enjoy uh, young people being involved and seeing them just embrace the things of the kingdom of God. It means more to me than anything else we do. Uh, I'm also really glad Donna made her little announcement because at the end of the service, it's, it's chaos in here. It's utter chaos. And I've told people sometimes that's my, one of my favorite times of the service, actually, every week. I, I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of chaos. But I love when they all come running together and the fellowship, and they don't, they don't, stuff doesn't bother the kids. They just come in, and they run around, and they have fun, and it's just so exciting. I, I love that. Um, but but I, I did watch a couple of them whack their heads against each other last week, and I hate to see that happen. So I'm, I'm thankful that we kind of keep them corralled. So that, that was awesome. But I did. I, I just enjoyed tonight's worship a whole bunch. I, I love the kids being involved. So I mean, I just, I'm so blessed that we have such a great group of young people. So... If you were here at the beginning of service, uh, you caught the little uh, April Fool's joke that, that Matt and Jesse played on us. You know, I thought, oh, that was pretty funny, huh? Matt leading worship. That's almost as funny as me leading worship, actually. Um, but in addition to being April Fool's Day, uh, as uh, Ke- Kevin mentioned, it is also the beginning of Holy Week. It's, it's, a, it's a week of the year on the Christian calendar, you know... Is it is it the most important week or the, the the I don't know it's it's certainly the time of year when I think it's it's the most important for us as followers of Christ to really reflect and to me it's it is it's the most contemplative reflective week of the year Christmas is like a big celebration it's a big party and that's good and we and, and I, I like parties too this week is a little different and and it really does cause me. Uh, I find myself, and, and I've even this past week in preparation for tonight and, and, and you know, this next week, I find myself very contemplative and, 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 and really reflecting a lot. And I would encourage you the same, to just spend some time this week, whether you take some quiet time or, or go for a walk or just when you're driving or whatever, and review a little bit your heart and what it means to, to be a believer and a follower of Jesus, what it means to you the sacrifice that Jesus made for us this week is a you know in in the scripture and and that's another thing I do is uh, I did this week and I will do it again this coming week as I review all four of the gospel accounts of the final week of Jesus life and and kind of uh, you know just just read those things through and I encourage you guys to do that too read read those passages and, and really spend some time whole series of events kind of unfold in the life of Jesus in that final week of his life. It's like 
he's had this three-year ministry, and all of a sudden it sort of goes into hyperspeed. You know what I mean? It's just like everything comes together, and it all sort of happens at once. And it, and it really is a, a remarkable, remarkable time. In his life, and I was thinking about this just today. I was actually walking. I, I, uh, I told Aaron earlier, I, I got to walk my dog yesterday and today and not get wet. It was very, very providential. And as, uh, as Buddy and I were out on our walk this morning, I was thinking about how everything that was purposed in God's heart for Jesus to do happened in this last week of his life. Everything that, that he had worked for kind of came to fulfillment, but at the same time, in him completing what he had set out to do from the very beginning, everything else changed. Everything changed. Our lives changed. History changed. Everybody else's life changed. Jesus' life came to a fulfillment, but everything else changed. And so, um, you know, I, I mean, next week, uh, and Easter is a celebration. And, and like Christmas, you know, we need to celebrate. It's it, The resurrection of Jesus, you know, we'll come here and we will. We'll, we'll hear testimonies of God's goodness and what God's doing in people's lives. And we'll sing songs about the resurrection and the life. And we'll sing songs about joy. And it really, really is a celebration. And Kevin was right. Friday is different than Sunday. Friday is not a celebration. Friday is, is the exact opposite of that. It's, it's sort of, and, and again, you know, there was a little bit of a, even a, a little verbal sparring going on tonight. Is it Good Friday or is it Black Friday? And it really, it, traditionally that day is known as Good Friday. And to be quite honest, I've never been able to figure that out. What, what is good about that day? I guess, is it black because the sun goes down? Is that or the sun goes black for three hours? Or is it just black because it's a bad day? Both. It's both of those things. It's Black Friday, and and I would encourage you guys if you can to be at that service too. It, it is probably the peak of that reflective time of the week. All week I'm sort of reflecting and thinking, and and I come here and there's these different things. It's very interactive. It is very unique and different. I I love that. So all of that is to say this that. Palm Sunday today is the beginning of that week. It's the day that Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the back of the donkey. It's the triumphal entry. Uh, It's a short-lived triumph, but it's a triumphal entry. And very often, typically, I think almost every year on this day, I, I talk about that. And I talk about the triumphal entry and sort of the beginning of that week of events. But because of just, I don't know, this reflective state I've been in, I want to actually work ahead a little bit. Because of the way we do it with Good Friday or Black Friday, whatever you call it, and Easter, I don't often really get to take time and focus on the cross. And that's what I want to do tonight. I want to take just a few minutes, and I won't be long tonight, but I want to think about the cross for a minute. And I want to think about some of the events that, you know, took place while Jesus was on the cross. And, and, and for us to uh, maybe begin a week of reflection just by, by thinking about that. Um, the cross is, it's everything to us. The cross is the heart of our faith. It's, it's, it's the fulfillment of God's purpose. It's really at the center of all that we believe in. We as followers of Jesus are instructed and I believe most of us endeavor to daily pick up our cross and sometimes we struggle with what does that even mean and the cross was 
you know, you think about the, the cross was a instrument of torture. It was an instrument of execution, no different than, you know, an electric chair or a gas chamber in our world today. As gruesome as those things are, Jesus took that instrument of torture and instrument of execution and he turned it into the ultimate symbol and expression of of love and sacrifice in the history of the world. And it's profound to just think about that. So pray with me and we'll take a few minutes and talk about the cross. Jesus, cause our hearts to reflect on you and think of you and consider the events and the people that um, were there at the cross and the things that took place and the fulfillment of God's purpose. And I pray that that would grip our hearts tonight and take new meaning, that it would be uh, a renewal for some, it would be maybe brand new for others, and uh, refreshing for some who have been in a place of distance from you. Whatever, whatever our situation, whatever our circumstances, that our hearts would be captivated tonight with uh, your work on the cross. Amen. I'm going to read from the Gospel of Luke in chapter uh, 23, and I'm going to begin at verse 39 and read a fairly lengthy passage. You can uh, read with me if you'd like. Luke 23:39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said? Since you are under the same sentence, we we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it, and then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes. But they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. So at the uh, a number of things happened there. That's a busy little moment in time but among the things that happened at the moment that Jesus died we're told the curtain of the temple was torn in two that, that's actually uh, from Matthew Matthew tells us it was torn from top to bottom not bottom to top so it didn't go 
it wasn't torn from earth to heaven, but from heaven to earth. It wasn't as though some person was trying to gain entrance into the dwelling place of God. It was as though God were saying, uh, I've opened the door to the place that I dwell, and you may come in. The, the curtain was r- really representative of man's separation from God. And uh, in the temple itself, the curtain separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. And, uh, y- you know, if you've ever studied that or, or looked into it all, you, you know that the Holy of Holies was the place where God was. That's the inner sanctum. That was where God dwelled. That's where God lived. That, that was where God's presence was. And people weren't allowed to go in there. You came to temple and you worshipped in the, in, the, in the courts outside of that. No one ever went into that little room where God was except for the high priest. And the high priest was only allowed to go in there one day a year. And on that one day he had to be very, very careful when he went in there. Because that really was the, the place where the presence of God was. That curtain was the, was the, the, the veil. It, it, it represented all of the separation between God and man. It was symbolic of everything that was between God and man, beginning with the fall and man's sin and everything that just distanced people from God. And as Jesus died, at the moment that Jesus died, the curtain was torn and the separation was removed and access was now allowed into God's presence in a way that it never was before. And we should be really, really thankful for that. Our, uh, our small group is starting a, a little study. We're going to be reading Practicing His Presence by Brother Lawrence over the next few weeks. And I was reading this week, and it was, a, uh, it was one of those l- little kind of dual epiphany things I, I had because Practicing His Presence, for those of you that haven't read it, is about the reality that we have access to God. We, we can be in His presence anytime, anywhere. You can drive your car. You can wash the dishes. You can take care of the kids. Whatever you do during the day, you, you can be in the presence of God all the time. And it's an encouragement to us to do that. It's basically what Brother Lawrence is saying is, hey, God's presence is here. Don't miss. Take advantage of that. Grab a hold of it. Just find it. Get in it. Be in it wherever you can. And I was thinking about, wow, what if that wasn't true? I was preparing for tonight and reading the book kind of, you know, simultaneously this week. And I thought... What if that had never happened? What if we still lived under the conditions that the people before Jesus' time did and we didn't have access to God and we wouldn't have this little book encouraging us to go into God's presence? We would have to do what they did and go to an intermediary and that person would make sacrifices on our behalf. And I just thought of how blessed it is to be able to go to God whenever we want. And I was all the more thankful for what Jesus did. Whether it's a good day or a bad day, whether, wh- whether I'm full of the Spirit of God or whether He seems so far away, I know He's there and I can seek Him out and I can find His presence and I, and, and I can call out to Him and, and He will answer to me. Now, you know, just because that presence is available to us doesn't make it automatic. We, we, we have to accept that. We say yes. We, we respond. 
we do have to seek out the presence of God and say, yes, I, I, I want your presence with me. I, I invite you into my life. I, I want to be near you. I want to talk to you. We can, we can ignore that and avo- avoid that or just stay away from it or just forget about it, whatever. But if we respond, we come into God's presence. I, uh, I found it interesting, the passage that uh, we looked at tonight. The first three people that the Scripture mentions that say yes, that make that response, that go into the presence of God, that uh, sort of connect with Jesus on that new level, are uh, a very unlikely group of people, an unlikely trio, if you will. Not maybe the people that we might expect to do that. Uh, We have first a thief, second a Roman centurion, and third... Uh, this man named Joseph, who is a member of the council, we're told. Begs the question, at least for me, where are the disciples? Where are those that had been the closest to Jesus during his ministry and his, his life, his time on earth, those that had walked with him and lived with him and talked with him and committed themselves to him? The text told us that... They were watching from a distance. If you, uh, the fuller text, and if you read all four gospel accounts, you, you really understand not only were they watching for a distance, from a distance they were scattered, they were afraid, and they were hiding. And so there's these others that sort of... Uh, step into this place of saying yes and coming into God's presence. And the first is uh, this thief on the cross. I, I don't think I'm overstepping my bounds to say I don't, I don't think the thief was all that close to God. Maybe I'm stereotyping, okay? He was a crook. He's a criminal. I don't believe, I don't know, but I don't think he was a a God-fearer or even a God-seeker. I don't think he had any real depth of spirituality or wasn't a religious person. He was a criminal. The other gospel accounts, if you read them all, do tell us, in fact, he was, along with the other guy on the cross, also mocking Jesus and insulting Jesus and throwing sort of uh, verbal, uh, you know, little verbal spears, darts at him. Um, Up until this moment, when something happened in his heart and he suddenly realized Jesus was innocent, he was not guilty of the things that he was being condemned for, and his heart changed. Something happened inside of him. He saw Jesus for who he was. He said, remember me when you come in. Second was the centurion. Centurions were not well liked by uh, the Jewish people in general. I, I, you know, I don't know if this is exactly how they felt, but this is how I think they felt. Um, how many of you guys like it when you are driving and you see a police car behind you? I don't see any hands. We probably don't really hate the police. We're not. We don't. You know. Nobody would say, well, I don't like the police. But there's something about, you know, the police that you just kind of, it just doesn't make you comfortable. And I, 
I, I think that's probably the way the Jewish people felt about the military in general. The Roman centurion was a man who was uh, there sort of to keep people in line. That was his job. A centurion is a high-ranking official in the Roman army. I mean, technically, centurion is a guy that's over 100 people. That's what his technical term is. But centurion really came to mean any, any sort of high-ranking military official was, was called a centurion. Luke calls this particular guy the centurion at the cross that day. The centurion. He was the guy in charge. He was there that day overseeing the operations that were taking place. He was working on behalf of Pilate, carrying out Pilate's orders, and really giving direction and oversight to the crucifixion of Jesus. He may very well have been the exact same guy who he certainly was involved in the flogging and the beating and the mockery that took place. He may have been the guy that pounded the nails into Jesus' hands and feet or shoved that fake crown of thorns down on his head. And this was nothing new to him. This was his job. He was doing what he did all the time. He had overseen probably, I don't know, maybe dozens of crucifixions in the past. It was just what he did. But the curtain tore in two, and he saw something different, something happened in his heart as well. Now, I, again, I'm reading between the lines, but I I don't know that this guy was any more spiritually more religious than the thief. I don't know that he had any more theological insight than the thief. I don't know that he had any proximity or closeness in his heart to God that then the thief had had and yet he suddenly also realizes that Jesus was innocent of the things that he had been convicted of and I think it's uh, either Matthew or John says he calls him the son of God I have to just wonder about the conflict in that guy's heart at that given moment as he thought I just crucified the Son of God. Third guy was Joseph. Joseph was a member of the council. The council that is being referenced is the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin were basically the Supreme Court. That's that's what they did. They were the Supreme Court of the day. They were a, a very wise group of counselors and judges whose job it was to determine laws and determine uh, you know, what would happen with people who broke those laws. Uh, they had just sentenced Jesus to death. They had made the, the Sanhedrin, this council, had made the determination that this guy would die and not live. And uh, Joseph was one of them. Of all of the groups of people that are referenced in and around the life of Jesus, the Sanhedrin may well have had the most to lose. Uh, they, they may very well have been the most threatened by his presence in, in that Jesus tended to come against some of the decisions they made and sort of what they stood for and what they 
represented in general. Now, in John's Gospel, it tells us that Joseph was a secret disciple. He was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly. We know from Luke's Gospel that he, however the vote worked, however the decision was made to sentence Jesus to death, that Joseph didn't vote for that. He voted the other way. He obviously was overruled. He was in the minority. I don't know. Having just done jury duty a couple weeks ago, it's a stressful little thing. I picture maybe, maybe he was the only one that said no. And the others all said yes. I don't know how it worked. But he voted against it. He wasn't in favor of that. He's a secret disciple. But he's also on this council. He's a leader in, in, the, in, the, in the city, in the, in the place where this is all taking place. And you talk about a, a conflicted guy. Now, if the centurion was a conflicted guy, how much more was Joseph a conflicted guy? He knows the truth. He knows who Jesus is. He's secretly following him. He's voted against putting him to death. But at the same time, he doesn't really want them to fully know who he is and what he's about, what he's for, because I think he's afraid at that point. If they know that I'm really a disciple, that I'm really a follower of Jesus, if they know what I really think about him, I don't know what might happen. They might put me to death too. I could be where Jesus is. He knew Pilate. He had an audience with Pilate. He went and asked for the body of Jesus. That is something that uh, typically would only be done by a family member. A family member could come and ask for the body uh, if, a, if a criminal was executed and no one came, the criminal's body would just be thrown in a common grave. But Joseph took it upon himself to uh, go and ask Pilate for the body of Jesus. Basically, he was saying, I'm like family. This man is like family to me. Pilate uh, grants his request. I find that a little interesting, too. I'm wondering, why did he say yes? You want to know my theory? I'll tell you whether you want to know or not. I think Pilate was also a very conflicted guy. I think Pilate knew the truth. I think he said yes because he was feeling guilty over what had just happened. So, all in all, pretty unlikely group of people to say yes to Jesus. Thief, a centurion, and a uh, member of the Sanhedrin. Jesus' death was, I guess, in that regard, a little bit like his life, or maybe a lot like his life, in that it was somewhat unexpected. It was full of surprises. It Things in the life of Jesus didn't go the way that maybe people thought they would, and I don't think things surrounding his death went the way that people thought they would. His closest friends, those that had followed him for three years of their lives, had scattered. They were hiding. They were afraid. And people that no one would ever really expect were saying yes and turning their lives over to him. And so when the uh, curtain was torn in two that day, it really did redirect the course of history beginning right at that moment. Everything changed. Nothing was the same anymore. And it really doesn't matter who you are, where you've come from, where you've been, whether you're a criminal, 
an enemy of the state, a political rival, you know, uh, say yes to Jesus, and Jesus says yes to you. I'll welcome you into my presence right now, whoever you are. That's what these three guys did. Thief on the cross, a uh, Roman centurion, and a member of the Sanhedrin. Not only were they, uh, you know, an unusual group to say yes, but they really weren't a group at all. Um, these three guys represented a, a fairly broad spectrum of society, if you will. Uh, I, it struck me they they probably wouldn't have liked each other very much. I don't think they would have been hanging out. I don't think the thief, the centurion, and Joseph would have gone out for a beer. Just this thief was a uh, not not just a thief. He's actually a very specific kind of thief. The Greek word that's used in other places to identify a thief or a robber, robber, somebody that steals things, is is kleptos, and we get the word klepto, kleptomaniac. It's a guy who steals things. That's what a klepto is, right? But the word that's used for this person is not that word at all. It's actually a different word. It's it's listes. Listes is a Politically motivated thief. Alistes is a, a zealot. He is, uh, he is anti-government, left-wing. He is a uh, he is a Occupy protester gone awry. He's somebody who is uh, out there stealing from the rich to give to the poor. He doesn't like what the government is doing, and he's making a statement by his thievery. That's who the thief on the cross was. He's as left as left can be. The centurion, on the other hand, is really on the far right. His task in life, his duty, if you will, is to uphold law and order. And in fact, his job was to track down the guy that's on the cross, to find him and bring him to justice and crucify him as he had just done. So he was the extreme polar opposite of the first man. The Sanhedrin, they're kind of in the middle. Their job is to dictate law, to keep peace, to uphold peace, uh, to determine how society would function without going awry. So the curtain is torn in two that day, and none of that matters anymore. It doesn't matter if you're on the left or on the right or if you're just kind of in the middle. Praise God, huh? When the curtain was torn, the barriers were removed. Access to God was open. Criminals, lawyers, judges, guards, centurions, they were all welcomed in. Left, right, middle, doesn't matter. None of that matters. None of that matters. All of the things that consume us day to day don't matter the sins of our past and the struggles of our present don't matter anything that keeps us away from God doesn't matter anymore the curtain is torn Jesus says come in and it really doesn't matter who you are where you've been what you've done how far away you've fallen you're welcome to come back 
our ethnicity doesn't matter, our gender doesn't matter, our political affiliation doesn't matter, our social status doesn't matter, how much money we have or how much money we don't have doesn't matter, how important we are or how important we're not. And let's be honest, in society that day, Joseph was an important guy, the thief was not. And it didn't matter. They both gained the same access to the presence of God because Jesus died on the cross to afford them that privilege, as he has done for you and me. All we have to do is what they did. Say yes. That's what I want. I recognize you for who you are. I accept you. I invite you in. I'll take you into my life today. And I won't take for granted the access that I'm going to give to you. So let's close. Jess, you want to come up and give me a little worship ministry tune? A little ministry tune? I, I just want to close tonight by, you know, taking a minute and saying yes. Wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever you are, Wherever you've been, whatever you've done, whatever's going on in your life today, no matter how far away, how close you are, just say yes. So why don't we stand?